good morning. Hey, y'all, come on in. And uh, Amy, our worship leader, is sick this morning, and so we're praying for her, but we have some video worship, and um, it's worship in the Lord. You know, sometimes it seem, might seem a little strange, uh, but just please feel free to just, uh, uh, it's not about us or listening to live music, it's about the Lord and what he's hearing and worshiping of him, and so... So let's uh, pray, and then we'll uh, start worshiping the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being our God and loving us so much. And Lord, just hear us now as we uh, gather to worship you, to glorify you, to praise you for all that you do, and uh, so for loving us so much. And just hear us now, Father, as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus. 
Father, only you are worthy. Oops, I cut that off a little soon. But God certainly is worthy, right? Praise God. So lunch is today, but we are not having uh, the women's study, and I don't know if Serge still wants to do the youth or not, so I don't know if we, even, know if we have youth. No, Okay. Yeah, so uh, we'll start that next week, and our Wednesday study as usual, uh, 6.30 this week, pizza and 7 o'clock, and what else do we have on that? Uh, clothing donations, we can use uh, clothes for sure, we got rid of uh, a l bunch yesterday, it went really well, and um, so if you have clothes, uh, bring it any time, because we do that every every other Saturday, and so... What else we got? Our praise reports. And um, all right. I was just going to ask you to tell us uh, what the lady told you yesterday. Yeah, there's more than, am I on? Okay. There's more than just that. So um, last Monday was really, really heavy and dark for me. And I, I want to thank everybody who prayed for me because I put it on the lineup. And it was just awful. Well, so the first thing, this whole thing has to do with how the Lord is working in the middle of the darkness. So our family's in a battle, so remember us in prayer. <laughs> and it's, when I say it's really dark, it's really dark. But that said, so Monday afternoon, I have a friend who's a local artist, and she was having this big show open, and she was really nervous, and she called me, and she's like, Charlotte, I just need you to pray for me. And I was like, yeah, of course I will. Of course, that's what I do, right? So later that afternoon, in the middle of the battle, I stopped and I looked at Michael and I said, babe, we got to pray for Lola right now. And it was right about the time where the show was opening, but it wasn't intentional. So we did. And the next morning she called me. She goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And to be honest, I don't know if she's a believer. I said, yeah, I probably will believe what, what happened. Everything sold out. Like every wow. piece of work sold within 20 minutes. Wow. And she goes, I can't believe it. I said, we, we prayed for you. Of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so she's like, thank you. And again, I don't know if she's a believer. So then <clears throat> I could seriously give you stories every day this week of how the Lord was just revealing himself around me all week long. But then yesterday was such a blessing. And to be honest, I didn't want to come because it was so cold, but we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're out there and just loving on people. And these two gals walk up, Miss Kim and Miss Kiki. And... They ended up here because Miss Kim was going to go pay a bill and then take Miss Kiki to buy groceries because she had no food. So they pull up at the intersection over here at the stop sign and they stop and they look over and they see the clothes. And one of them said, oh, that must be a yard sale. Let's go look. So they stopped in and they were like, how much is everything? We're, it's free. Take what you want. And Miss Kiki started to tear up and she goes, are you serious? I said, yeah. 
well, I guess she had given Miss Kim a list, and everything that was on her list was on that table. And she walked away in tears because, and I said, look how good the Lord is. He knew what you needed, and it's right here. And I was hoping to see her here this morning, but I'm sure she'll be back. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? Have a praise? All right. Does anybody have a prayer need? If you'd raise your hand, uh, we'll just lift you up in prayer this morning. All right. Nobody specific? Well, I'll pray, and then Pastor Daniel's going to come up and bring us a word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these, uh, this praise report. you just working in our lives, and, and, uh, and you work in all of our lives, Lord. And we know uh, we don't all uh, speak out about it, but Lord, we just thank you for that. And Father, we just ask you to be with uh, Amy and her family today that are sick. We just uh, ask that you put your healing hands on them, Lord, and we just lift them up to you. And, and anybody else, Lord, there's, uh, I think of my little granddaughter and my daughter-in-law that uh, are uh, ill, Lord, we just ask that you heal them. And, uh, and anybody else that's just suffering the lasting effects of COVID and uh, whatever else is going on. And so... Lord, we just ask that you would uh, speak to us right now uh, as Pastor Daniel comes up with your word, Lord, that we would uh, just grow, uh, get to know you better this morning as we uh, study your word together, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. under there there we go just in case (laughs) when you manage to do things with technology you realize technology is great till it ain't so have a backup (laughs) that's what the iPad is is a backup just in case fortunately it looks like everything's going to work good today and I praise the Lord for that so we're jumping back in uh still love it people ask me uh why do you go to that church over there? And I have to tell them about Calvary Chapel. And they go, what makes Calvary Chapel special? I said, we teach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and they just get this strange look on their face. <laughs> uh, because it's the way it should be, and a lot of people recognize that, but they've never experienced it. And so I am privileged to be here once again to take us, hopefully, through... Uh, A chapter, verse by verse, I'll try not to go word by word or uh, punctuation mark by punctuation mark, Uh, but I do want to uh, get back into 1 Timothy chapter 2 and continue the study that we started last week with Pastor Rob. However, it's not about me teaching, it's about the Holy Spirit, so before I even go any further... We've prayed for the other needs, but I'm going to pray specifically that God will get me out of the way and that His Holy Spirit will be the teacher through me, and I'm just a willing vessel. So Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the fact that the darkness and the shadows and the sorrow and the sadness that the things we experience in this sin-stricken life still cannot stop your grace. 
Father, we don't always understand how you're being merciful, but you are always merciful to us, your children. And Father, I've come to a simple conclusion that it is your word that you have given to us that we can make a foundation in our lives. So Father, today as we come to your word, Tracy and I talked and we get to a section of scripture and it's how do we encourage people? But Father, it's not about me encouraging people. It's about your Holy Spirit. So Father, even as I sat down to study, you spoke to me that everything here is all about Jesus. And Father, I pray that the lesson that you have taught me through the study of this will come through this vessel now. Here I am, Lord. We sang the song, Give me clean hands. Let me be humble before you, Lord, so that it's not about me, but so that it is all about Jesus. So Father, help us to hear you. Help us to listen for you. And for each one of us, Father, who are humble in our hearts, I pray that this morning you will speak to us what we need for here and now. And that you will encourage us or strengthen us or give us the peace that we need, Father, to continue living this life for you. Father, bless your word and be a blessing to us in the study and in the reading and teaching of your word. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray. Amen. So I'm going to kind of pick up where Pastor Rob finished teaching last week, but I kind of want to review because one of the things that I do is continue to look at context. And if I just jump in at verse 5 without us remembering verses 1 through 4, you'll be lost. <laughs> so... Uh, as we learned in verses 1 through 4 of 1 Timothy last week, Paul is tying together, and so this is kind of what I learned, <laughs> and as I study, and this is when I go back and look, uh, Pastor Rob did an excellent job teaching us. I needed to hear what he had to say last week about prayer. And these first four verses are based on prayer, but they go much deeper than that. Because here in these first verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is tying together a Christian's politics, philosophy, religion, and theology into one crystal clear focus. And that focus makes all of the Christian's life about Jesus. So we say, it's all about Jesus. In verses 1 through 4, Paul is instructing Timothy to teach that our politics begin and end with our trusting Jesus through prayer to provide the political answers necessary so that we as followers of Jesus can lead a peaceful and quiet life. A lot of people want to leave that part out. That life imitates the character of God in bringing no shame to Jesus and His name. Let's quickly read through those verses again as a foundation for progressing through the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. 
First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How are we to live a life that is pleasing to God? Don't we ask that question all the time? Well, Paul just told us how we live a life that is pleasing to God. We can only live a life pleasing to God if we make everything about Jesus. This is the knowledge of truth. Knowing that all we do in this life must put Jesus first and not save Jesus for our last resort. How do we put Jesus first in everything and make everything all about Jesus? Well, that is what Paul starts teaching and explaining in verses 5 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 7. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and trust and truth. Pay attention to what Paul is saying here. Because he is passing on to us his devout belief that there is perfect agreement between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that there is one God. Remember the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Yad He Vad He Elohim, Yad He Vad He Ikad, Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God has not changed His nature in making a new covenant of redemption with the world. The covenant has changed because of God's love and compassion for humanity who we could never keep the old covenant in a way that is pleasing to God and a way that meets His requirements to be holy as the Lord God is holy. So in God's compassion for humanity, God became a human. I'm deep theology, but it's really simple, so simple a child can understand it. God became a human in order to be the one mediator between sinful humanity and the awesome glory of His holiness. Turning back to 1 Timothy in these verses, hope I didn't jump too far. Let me check right here. Nope, there we go. Uh, still back in 1 Timothy from Deuteronomy, let's bring together how we can make everything in life all about Jesus. How do we do this? We must let the testimony of Jesus influence everything we do in life. Our politics must be shaped by the commandments of Jesus and even more importantly, how we exercise our political opinion and our treatment of others who reflect that character and nature of Jesus and not any other man. This past week I read someone's opinion on why Uncle Tom was used as a derogatory name. Their reasoning is that it was because Uncle Tom responded to cruelty, oppression, and the injustice of enslavement by turning to the Word of God 
rather than turning to violence like Django, who violently attacked the injustice of enslavement. My heart hurts to hear that this world's opinion is that acting like Jesus acted in the face of oppression is cowardly and indifferent towards injustice. I'm not bringing up this topic to get sidetracked on any political opinion that we're facing today, but just to prove a point. I'm using this as an example of how we as believers must respond to the urge of the world to violently assert our rights in the political arena. As a follower of Jesus who is growing in the knowledge of truth, I know that I have no rights except those given to me by God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, God is my judge, literally my name, Daniel, judge me God. And the one who will guarantee me justice in eternity, even if I do not experience justice in this world. My faith this year has already been tried and found wanting because I still want to put my hand to making my own justice instead of turning to God in faith and trusting that vengeance belongs to Him alone. Will we as followers of Jesus continue to display our lack of faith in the political realm and follow the violent tendencies of lost humanity? Or will we lead a peaceful and quiet life by placing our faith in God to be our justice? It's a hard question, isn't it? We have a mediator in Jesus Christ who is always listening to the prayers and the pleas of His own. And He lives to make intercession for us to the sovereign Lord God who is justice. And His timing will prove perfect always. What is Paul teaching and what am I learning from these verses and what I'm learning from these verses is that every part of our lives must be weighed in the balance with the fact that Jesus Christ is our mediator between God and us. Over and over again, I take my eyes off of Jesus and get to looking at the circumstances that surround me in the moment. I'll never blame Peter again. I'd have sank just like he did. Here is the knowledge of the truth that we must learn to apply in our lives. Since Jesus is our mediator, then we handle our circumstances by talking to Jesus and trusting that as our mediator, as our intercessor, He presents the best possible plea to our Heavenly Father on our behalf. What a privilege we have in that Jesus knows our every need, our every fear, and our every tear because He is human as well as God. Therefore, Jesus has experienced as a human the same circumstances as all humans. Before you think there is no way that Jesus experienced the pain you feel, stop, you reminded me, Graham, stop and think about the cup that Jesus drank in the Garden of Gethsemane. And realize that Jesus drank the dregs of God's wrath to the fullest for you. Perhaps the lie creeps in that Jesus did not hear your prayer that God doesn't care. In the last month, Tracy and I have experienced painful losses in our lives and the enemy has been there ready to whisper his accusations and lies. Friends, this is the warfare that we are fighting. And it is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness that would turn our eyes away from Jesus. 
It's not been easy at times to accept the fact that my Heavenly Father knowingly allowed such sorrow and pain in my life despite my pleas for a different outcome. However, Jesus was given as my ransom. Jesus is my mediator and Jesus must be the testimony that I proclaim even during sorrow and pain. Why must I proclaim Jesus? Because Jesus has ransomed me from an eternity of pain and sorrow and though I hurt for a while now, I know beyond all doubt that every loss in this life is ultimately insignificant in the light of Jesus' face as seen in eternity. We say it, do we believe it, do we live it, do we put it in practice when we're hurting? Now I'm not making little of the pain and sorrow that we experience in the here and now. It's real, we feel it. But I am working to believe that Jesus is more than enough to heal the hurt and sorrows I feel now. In fact, just as Uncle Tom had no other outlet for justice but his faith in God's goodness, justice, and perfection, so too I am learning to trust my Heavenly Father and not allow anything in my life that will not have a glorious outcome in eternity. I may not understand as what, it, what is happening in the middle of the storm, but by faith I trust that Jesus is worthy of praise even when my feelings would say otherwise. Easy words to write, hard words to live. Beloved, we must come to the knowledge of God's truth that only faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ will sustain us in this life and bring us safely home in the next. So then no matter how we feel, the knowledge of the truth is what teaches us that life is not about how we feel, but it's all about what Jesus has done for us. It is our testimony about the work of Jesus in our life that we are to militantly herald and proclaim to the world. I can't out-argue many people about what they believe. But they can't disprove what I know Jesus has done for me and that is the testimony we are called to shout from the rooftops. In verse 7, Paul is explaining his purpose and motivation in life as it was given to him by Jesus. I believe that it is important for us to both have a God-given purpose in life and to understand that our purpose is to be obedient to the Lord. Paul's honest confession is that through his walk with Jesus, he has learned that his purpose is first to proclaim the good news that Jesus has ransomed us from death and granted us the gift of everlasting life with the eternal God. Not only does Paul preach that Jesus is the only way to God, but Paul testifies continually that Jesus is the only one who can connect us to God as our mediator. Mm, there's a whole lot more there we could talk about because so many other people want to add somebody else between them and Jesus. Go to Jesus. As Paul's purpose in life developed, he came to accept that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ even though he did not walk with Jesus while Jesus was on earth. Jesus had a special purpose for Paul in mind and so Jesus through the Holy Spirit 
trained Paul to be an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. What was the special purpose that Jesus had in mind for Paul? That purpose was for Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles and teach those who were never exposed to the old covenant the beautiful truth and gift of faith found in God's covenant with all people through Jesus. With faith and truth in mind, Paul in verse 8 begins to transition to how our faith in the truth is reflected in our worship of God. Verses 8 through 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women, wives, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women slash wives who profess godliness with good works. When we are reading and studying the book of 1 Timothy, we must keep in mind that Paul is writing this book to provide instructions to Timothy on how to be an overseer for a church plant. Remember, Timothy was sent back to Ephesus. One of the critical aspects of Christian worship is that Christian worship is based on the truth and faith in the gospel of Jesus. It's that the worship of the assembly of believers must be orderly with the peace of God being extremely important. To that end, we learn from Paul that prayer is an essential part of Christian worship and requires that our attitude in prayer be one of submission to God. What does it mean to pray and lift holy hands to God? It means that we as believers surrender ourselves to God and are vulnerable. So when we lift hands, I'm showing you, you can see these hands, that there's nothing in these hands that I can throw at you. There's nothing in these hands that I can use to attack you. In fact, other than a slap, if somebody comes at you with an open hand, you're not using something normally that would be considered a permanent attack or a weapon against you. We forget sometimes what it must look like to God because usually we're, we're all turned the same direction and we see the back of everybody's hands. <laughs> but when we lift our hands to God, we are surrendering to Him and humbling ourselves before Him and saying that I have no weapon, God, that I am even going to try to use against you. It's that visual expression of the fact also that our hands are dedicated to serving God's purposes and not our own purpose. We lift our hands to God and we're saying, God, take these hands and let these hands be your hands here on earth. And we should take our feet and our ears and our tongues and do the same thing and surrender to God in worship and say, here I am, take and use me here and now. It is a demonstration that we are not lifting our hands for warfare. Do that, that's warfare. And carries the meaning that we do not hate anyone and we're not seeking vengeance with our own hands. We're not shaking a fist at God and we're not shaking a fist at anyone else. We're surrendering and letting God be our justice. And we're turning over and letting vengeance belong to God instead of us. 
It's a reminder that we're not to doubt or take part in angry disputes because both doubt and arguments hinder prayer. As believers, see, I, we could go there for a while. I want to jump and start moving on. As believers, we're not to try to call attention to ourselves in the worship service. Therefore, Paul is addressing what he saw in Ephesus as a common abuse, and that is the women there in Ephesus, the wives of the men of the church, dressing for attention in the worship service. One point needs to be clarified here that many people overlook. The Greek word that Paul uses to refer to a woman, gune, is understood by context as either a woman or a wife. If we pay close attention to the context of the rest of this chapter, I believe translating this word as wife makes sense both contextually and culturally. Know this though, so let's look at culture briefly. Know that in Paul's times and in the Greco-Roman culture, a female would have three respectable titles in her life. We're not going to talk about the disrespectful. The first would be a young maiden or virgin, and this would be true from birth until she was married. Know this, that until she was married, a young woman was under the authority of her father. After marriage, this young woman would become the wife of her husband, and in Greco-Roman culture, there was no single life for a respectable woman. You went from a daughter to a bride. Not all women would achieve the final respectable title of widow because of the medical dangers of having children without the convenience of modern medicine. We're going to get to that at the end of the chapter. I am one who is thankful for modern medicine because without it, both my mother and I would have never survived my birth. For the rest of the time today, as I am teaching from 1 Timothy, I encourage you to think in the context and culture of Paul's day in order to understand what he's saying about women. Now hold it. Some people use that as an escape. That brings us to the question of whether what Paul is teaching applies to our culture today. My answer is a resounding yes, because Paul is establishing the culture of the church. While we do not lose our ethnic identity entirely when we become a Christian, we are to have our culture changed from that of the world to a culture of imitating Jesus because Christianity is all about Jesus and not all about you. So now I've got women and most of the evangelical church mad at me. All right. For that reason, men must always recognize that as Christians, we are under the authority of the elders of the church as the elders are held to a higher standard. Stay tuned for chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. To be under the authority of Jesus Christ. A woman is to be under the authority of either her father or her husband or the elders of the church if she is a single adult for whatever reason. If we cannot yield and submit ourselves to the authority that our heavenly father has established for the church, are we truly then imitating Jesus? I'll leave you with that question and move on a little bit. Back to what Paul is teaching, Timothy regarding keeping order in the church. The worship service is all about Jesus and not us. For this reason, we're not to call attention to ourselves in the worship service. 
This is especially true when some would try to make themselves appear better than others because of their wealth. And this was especially true at Ephesus because there were many in that church who were apparently wealthy and formerly in life would have adorned themselves with braided hair, gold, pearls, and costly attire as a symbol. So the women would have done this as a symbol of her husband's wealth and status in society. They weren't just trying to keep the hair out of their face. Ain't nothing wrong with trying to keep the hair out of your face. Because you understand when they braided their hair, they were lacing gold and pearls and jewels. It wasn't just doing something that was functional. It was for a show and a demonstration of my husband and I are wealthy, we are highly ranked in society, and you had better give us the respect that we deserve. I can see a prideful, wealthy husband adorning his wife with his wealth to establish his high position in society with the intention of using his position in society to gain authority in the church. In response to this, Paul issues a clear proclamation against the promotion of our social status in the assembly of believers because we are made to be one equal society in the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm a manager at work. I have to tell people what to do, and I try to be gentle about it. But if myself and one of my subordinates were in the same church together, we're equal in the Lord. My, my duties and responsibilities as a manager stops at the door of the church, and we are brothers or brothers and sisters in the Lord when we come into the church. There is no master and slave in the church unless Jesus is the master and we are the doulos, the bondservant to serve Him. I'm telling you people, Jesus Christ turned the world upside down and now people are trying to twist Scripture to mean something else. Let's get back to the simple truths that turn this world upside down. We are made one in Jesus Christ regardless of language, culture, race, social status, whatever, we are equal in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. That is why that for the godly woman, jumping back to where we're at instead of meddling like I was, uh, for the godly woman, the only thing that should bring attention to her is the good works which she performs because those good works come from her honest faith and obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So now let's move to verses 11 through 15 and we're about halfway through. Maybe a little better than halfway. Verse 11. Let a woman slash wife learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman slash wife to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman slash wife was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You're welcome, Serge and Rob, for me tackling this part and not turning it over to you. Uh, and we do want to tackle it. And we want to understand it because this has been a source of a lot of confusion. So hopefully I can unravel this and make it less confusing how, how we take what Paul was talking to Timothy about in Ephesus 2,000 years ago and still apply it as our Lord and Savior would have us apply it today. Paul is making the point that there is a time and place for asking questions 
And that is not in the middle of a sermon. Now, some of you hung out with me when we taught on Sunday afternoons. If you had a question, I would stop and answer your question. Uh, in fact, they call that the didactic method. And then when Paul said he was a teacher earlier in this chapter, he used the word didaskalos. And that's where I call, how do you know what the didactic method is? Is didask a lot. And it's, it's a good way to understand. And it's, I mean, those of you that sat in with us on the Revelation study and we had that two-way conversation, it's a good way to learn the deep things of Scripture, isn't it? A lot of what they were doing in church, because all of this was new, they haven't done this to where y'all listen to me for however long I ramble on, but they were using that didactic method and learning so that a teacher would teach and then the, the congregation would ask a question. And Paul said, let the men of the congregation ask the question and then explain it later. So let's continue to break that down. Um, one of the things that they would do with this cycle of questioning, it required someone to remain calm, and logical and not get emotional about the questions. Why do I say that? The method would fail if you got emotional. In fact, the teacher, and I didn't do this, <laughs> uh, but the Greeks, when they would use this method, the teacher would often ask questions in such a way that it would be considered insulting in order to shock the pupil into thinking differently about the subject matter. So, let me ask you this question. How peaceful... Would many of you husbands be if you thought someone were insulting your wife? You get your hackles raised pretty quick, don't you? How would the teacher's authority be perceived if he was arguing with a woman? So you can see, again, the basis of all of this is our worship service is to be done decently in order and to be all about Jesus and not about us. Therefore, Paul does not permit a woman to teach the doctrine of the church to the elders and the assembly of the church because for a woman to do so would violate the natural order of authority established by the Lord for the church. To better understand what Paul is teaching, let's look at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 beginning in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul ain't mentioning words. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So that passage is there in Corinthians. At the time that Paul is writing to Timothy and the Corinthians, there was no New Testament like we have today. And the Holy Spirit was moving on the people to prophesy authoritative doctrine for the early church. For a woman to hold this authority over the church would also mean that she held authority over the Word of God and over the men of the church. 
God's pattern from the beginning has been to reveal His Word, His commandments to men as the head of the family. See, we've left the family out of this whole equation. God's pattern of submission to a chain of authority is even seen in the three persons of the Trinity. Jesus submits Himself to the Father and the Holy Spirit is under the authority of the Father and the Son. This is also true in the military where there is a chain of authority based on the ranks of the soldiers. Without this chain of authority, there would be disorder. There was a lot of false teaching being spread at Ephesus and Paul knew that without the authoritative scriptures that the early church would easily be led astray. So now we've seen this out of Timothy, we've seen this out of Corinthians. Does this mean that a woman can ever teach in the church? No. There is a way that is decent and orderly that allows for a woman to teach from the Word of God. To prove that point, let's look at some additional scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 6. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So meaning that in a worship service, kind of like we have an afterglow service, in a service like that, the women were allowed to pray and prophesy as long as they were showing that they were under the authority of their husband. He continues, verse 6, For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, why is that? Just culture, Greco-Roman. The prostitutes had shaved heads so they didn't get lice. So if a woman had a shaved head at that time, it indicated that she was in the world's oldest profession as they like to call it. Tracy and I every now and then have discussions like, can I get my hair cut short? I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Let her cover her head. She's laughing good. She knows I'm picking at her a little bit. And this passage in 1 Corinthians, by the way, we did come from a church where I have known young women to have hair down to their calves because they took that so literally they would never cut their hair. That's, don't go that direction either, okay? In this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches that a woman can prophesy and pray so long as she submits to the authority by having her head covered. This head covering was an outward symbol of a wife's submission to the authority of her husband who would have been nearby his wife. In this way, if the wife were to go off the rails, so to speak... Her husband would be there to exercise his authority as husband to calm his wife down or ask her to be quiet. If you've ever been in a Pentecostal or a charismatic service, like I have, you have seen people go off the rails where I wish sometimes there were some fellas, I wish their daddy was there to bring them back under control. So you got to remember, we're talking Corinthians where they were going completely wild with this thing. Quite frankly, if the husband is there to calm his wife down or ask her to be quiet, this would be a relief for the rest of the church. Since neither the elders of the church nor the other women of, of the church would feel comfortable publicly correcting or calming down someone else's wife. Remember, decent and in order. You lay hands on somebody else's wife, there's likely to be a fight in the church. 
decently and in order. You start to understand then why Paul is teaching this for the sake of order in worship. Let's look at a pattern of this husband and wife teaching in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So this is exactly where Paul is writing to Timothy, where Timothy's being the overseer. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, that's Corinthians, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So in these verses we learn that Aquila and his wife Priscilla taught, taught Apollos the truth of the gospel. I reversed the order. Notice that Paul put Priscilla before Aquila, meaning she probably led the teaching. Notice from this passage that even though Priscilla aided or possibly led in the teaching of Paulus, she did so under the authority of her husband. This is also a good pattern for both the husband and wife to serve in a counseling ministry together. And Tracy has experienced that. Someone has said, hey, uh, I got this thing, Daniel, will you talk to me about this? And it happened to be a woman. I said, I will talk to you if you're comfortable for me and my wife both to sit in the meeting. So even if one is more gifted in the area than the other, the counselors being present as a couple should prevent any suspicion of misbehavior or inappropriateness in the counseling session. Let's look now at Paul's instructions to Titus to see another place where women are encouraged to teach in the assembly of believers. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to... Teach what is good. So train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. There's a whole lot of things here, and you understand that one of the early things that was going on that started the persecution in the church, that started Christians being killed, is that the Romans started accusing the church when they got together of... I'm trying to find a way to PG-rate this. Uh, of actually getting together physically in a carnal sort of way. So Paul is very careful as he's teaching Titus, who's going to, to Crete, where these people... Even Paul said, these are beasts. These people are crude and rude. Titus, make sure... You, you get the church set up decently in order in this place, or people are going to be saying bad, bad things about the church. So here the older women are instructed to teach the younger women, and history has proven the benefit of women gathering together for Bible study led by a spiritually mature and Spirit of God-filled woman in the fellowship. And still, there's yet another approved way for women to teach the Word of God, and we find that example in 2 Timothy. Chapter 1 5. 
I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. In this verse it appears that Timothy was taught as a child by his mother and grandmother the necessary knowledge of the scriptures and the faith. I believe it is critical for mothers, grandmothers, and the women of the church to train up children and the word of God through teaching and by their examples of faith. If it were not for my grandmother, my mother, and the women of the church teaching me the faith of Jesus at an early age, then my way of coming to the Lord would have been an even more difficult and costly path. It was this early teaching by women about the faith of Jesus that over and over in my life allowed the Holy Spirit to convict me regarding the choices that I was making. How many other believers owe the shaping of their belief in Jesus to the honest and sincere faith of the women in their family and in the church passing along to them as children their own sincere faith? Now let's get back to studying the verses in 1 Timothy and we're almost to the end. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. In the natural order, God created man before woman, and man was created in the image of God, including the image of authority in the family. Adam knew the consequences of eating the forbidden fruit, but submitted to his wife and thus sinned. He reversed the order God established. Do you understand that? Adam should have said, No, Eve, that is sinful to do that. We will not do that. But because of his love for his wife, he humbled himself to his wife rather than to God. However, Eve was deceived by the emotional appeal of the serpent leading to her deception. Since the woman listened to the serpent rather than her husband, God has commanded that the woman must submit to the authority of her husband. This is not a popular teaching today in our culture, but when you take the time and look at the damage being done to our families because women refuse to submit to the authority of their husbands and because husbands don't take the authority and lead the family the way God intended, so it goes both ways, not just one way. Uh, perhaps we can agree that the Bible really is the best authority for living this life. Not only would this be an issue of keeping order in the church, but kind of think of it this way. So you got a female pastor and you're doing this did-ask-a-lot method of teaching. Uh, women, how would you feel if another woman was telling your husband what to do? Especially if you disagreed with what she was telling him. How are you going to maintain order and peace in a church when that's happening? Let's look now at the last verse of chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2 verse 15. Yet she will be saved, delivered, preserved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There are a few ways to understand this verse. First, we must know that having children is not a requirement for a woman's salvation. Despite what some churches say, it's not a requirement. The same Greek word we translate today is meaning that a person is reborn and has a saving faith in Jesus with the promise of everlasting life with God to the Greek-speaking people simply meant being delivered, preserved, or rescued. 
What Paul is saying here is that for women who are mothers, then God's purpose for their lives is to literally add to His kingdom by giving birth and raising the children in a godly household. In fact, women, to the best of my knowledge, it is only naturally born women still who can become pregnant and bring the precious gift of new life of a human being into the existence of this world. Science is trying to disrupt that, but right now, as far as I know, it's the only way new human life begins in this world. That's not a natural ability which men possess. Therefore, for the women who have chosen to become mothers, they should rejoice in the beautiful and unique gift they have been given by the Lord. For the women who have not or cannot have children of their own, they will be blessed with a different purpose by the Lord and must choose to faithfully follow how the Lord leads. Not a specific woman, but women in general are being redeemed from Eve's sin by being good mothers. So, y'all got to be mothers, but guys, Adam messed up so bad it took God becoming human and dying on a cross to fix what Adam messed up. And y'all got the benefit of that and the blessing of being mothers as well. Y'all are doubly blessed in that sense. How so? Eve's sin paved the way for death to enter the world, but in the ability to have children, women have been redeemed since it was the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head. The Holy Spirit moved on the Virgin Mary and she gave birth to Jesus the Messiah who is our atonement. Do you see how God's grace is so beautiful to work through these things? The last sort of thing we talk about here that Paul is talking about is God, God providing extra protection to godly women during the rigors of pregnancy. 2,000 years ago, medical science had not achieved the level of advancement that is what we call prenatal care today. Therefore, many women would die in childbirth, and to most people of the day, they viewed a woman's death in childbirth as a punishment for some sin. So Paul's saying, hold on a minute. Paul's attempting to comfort the future mothers of the church by explaining to them that God's blessing would be on them whether they lived or died in childbirth because Jesus is the curse breaker. Their sin's forgiven in Jesus. Remember, this is all about Jesus, not all about you. Now, we know what Jesus has done for you and I, and that's our testimony. Man was cursed to earn his living through the sweat of his brow, and women were cursed to experience pain during childbirth. The promise is that no matter how bad the curse, that God's grace is still effective and efficient for salvation. For both mothers and all other women, the root purpose of living as a follower of Jesus is found in continuing in the faith, continuing to demonstrate the love of God in holiness, and by practicing self-control. Other than the childbearing part, men, we will do well to continue in the faith and love of Jesus with holiness and self-control as our guides as well. As we come to the end, we will all do well to remember that the church and our worship of Jesus is not about us, but it's all about Jesus. And when we get to these complex issues and this hard doctrine and sometimes tough theology, we've got to quit making it about us, but make it about what Jesus has done for us and make it all about Jesus 
and it won't be nearly so confusing or so tough to understand. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, and I hope and pray that uh, once again this cracked pot has been blessed by you to be a vessel through which your truth and the simplicity of faith and knowing and loving you I pray, God, that you've been able to utilize me that way and that, Father, our faith can be focused on making it all about you, Jesus. The times in this life when I get down the most is when I look at the height of the waves or I hear the roar of the storm and I take my eyes off of you and I start to sink. Jesus, I pray that you being our peace speaker and our peacemaker, you being our ransom and our sacrifice, help us all, Lord, to fight the good fight. And when the accuser comes, to whisper in our ears, to look at the waves or to hear the storm or to be scared of the lightning, I pray, Jesus, that you will reach out to us, that your Holy Spirit will awaken faith in us so that when fear comes knocking, we can answer in the faith and say it's all about Jesus. And because of Jesus, it's all going to be good because we have a good, good Father. Father, we praise you and we glorify you. I pray now as we move into worship, that as, even as we go into a different way of worshiping, I pray, Father, it's not about who's singing from a stage, but it is us singing together and praising You because it is all about You and not all about us. So let us lift our voices and our hearts to You. And Father, I am confident that no matter how we do that, as we join to meet You at Your throne, to worship around Your throne, we will receive your blessings as long as we focus on you and make it all about Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray. Amen.
Jesus, we are building our lives on you, Lord, because you gave us new life. You gave us life and life more abundantly. Lord, you took what was dirty and wretched and sick, Lord, and you brought something brand new out of it. The old man has passed away, and behold, all things are made new. You're so good to us, Lord. Crazy.
I ask the blessing for our lunch, and we'll have a great lunch and fellowship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time of worship and praising you. Again, we lift up Amy and the family to you, and we just ask for healing there. But Lord, uh, right now we just ask that you bless this food to our bodies and that you just give us a great time of fellowship and uh, enjoyment of each other and encouraging each other in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's have some lunch. Thank you.